Welcome to the Closing Time Podcast for the week of August 4th, 2019. I'm Joe McGuire, along with Abby Bro. You visit our website, ClosingTimePodcast.com. We always offer really fantastic tips, all the latest news, and so much more. Uh, ClosingTimePodcast.com is the site. Yesterday, uh, Abby and I, we threw what I like to say is our first successful client appreciation party. Yeah, first only and very successful. Yeah, and um, I'm excited to do it again next year. It went so well that like literally halfway through it, I actually had clients who were like, we should do this again next year. <laughs> and I was like, we haven't even had lunch yet. And right. you're already already in for next year. <laughs> oh, uh, it really so was nice. great. Uh, and I got to say, uh, I defer to you on most of it because you are amazing. Well, you thank great. you. I'm a very high D personality. Um, and so I need to take charge and just do it. <laughs> but I appreciate that. Thank you. And I am what my wife calls a worker bee. <laughs> you just point and I'll move it. I'll fix it. I'll right. whatever you need. Right. Yeah. Worked so it great. works out great. Yeah. No, but it was, it was wonderful. We had it at Paradise Country Club in Hamden. So um, we had all of our past clients that were able to make it. Uh, it was a really good turnout. And we had some food. Um, the kids ran around some bounce houses. And um, it was a great time. Uh, I, you know, I, nobody said anything different. So, <laughs> you know, I, I see these sorts of things. I talk about them in the trainings all the time about how important this kind of stuff yeah. is. And to actually have lived it now mm -hmm. and to see the reaction and get the feedback that we got. Oh, yeah. It I was mean, really great to give back and to truly um, have them. I mean, they get we. we connect with them throughout the year and you know we do the Popeyes and we do um the closing gifts and things like that but this is just another way to tell them hey look like we really appreciate you we appreciate you putting your trust in us to uh buy and sell your property and um we hope to do it again in the future and um also tell your friends please yeah yeah tell your friends tell your that's, friends that's really mm -hmm. where it's at right so let's get a look at some real estate news. Uh, first up, I, I saw this article, uh, the top five cities at risk for a housing crash this year. And I thought, oh, that's such a terrible way to start a show. Right. And then I thought, I hope none are from Connecticut. And unfortunately, uh, that's exactly the case. Uh, here are the top five markets most at risk for a pending crash. Newark, New Jersey tops the list. Uh, the market there is is in trouble. 30% of mortgages have negative, a negative equity. Uh, the rental units sit at a 5.2% vacancy. Homes at a 9.5%. The national averages are a little under 2 and a little over 6%. Uh, more than six times the average uh, mm. delinquency in, in uh, Newark, New Jersey. Number two on the list is Detroit, Michigan. Uh you almost would have guessed uh, that was on the top well, yeah. five list, which and, is, I love the Motor City, and I, and I feel bad, but, you know, things are economically depressed still. Right. Um, and, yeah, so this is no shocker at yeah. all. 34.4% uh, negative equity rate is the highest in the country, and their delinquency rates are also higher than a national average. Coming in at number three, Connecticut's largest city, Bridgeport, which has seen real estate values drop due to a high crime rate and low economic prospects. The median house in the city is worth $176,200. 
27% of mortgages are underwater. Yeah. I mean, that is really bad news. Yeah. I have a lot of investors looking for properties in Fairfield County. And so obviously they got some Bridgeport listings um, and they're always interested in them. So they're like, oh, this one looks pretty good. And I run the numbers and they're just terrible. They really you know? got to, they got to do something with Bridgeport. Yeah. It, it's, it's definitely in need of, of some assistance. And, and I really hope, I mean, the city's in trouble. I hope the state can come through and, and do something there because that is bad news. Number four on the list was Baltimore, Maryland, which recently took a hit from the president who called it a rat and rodent infested mess. Yeah, that was fun. The city's low median home value is $119,200. The high negative equity rate is over 26%. Baltimore, uh, again, just one of those depressed cities economically has been for a really long time. And then number five on the list, and uh, a, a shocker a little bit for me, because I I know Hartford, Connecticut has problems. Right. I didn't think they were this bad. 22.4% of Hartford homes have negative equity. Hmm. The home vacancy rate is 4.3%. That's two and a half times the national average. And the rent vacancy rate is 9.2%, which, again, is incredibly high. That is really high. Way over the, the national average. And the median home price in Hartford is $130,900. Right. So you, you don't want to see your state have more than one on this list, if any. Yeah. I mean, I just sold a beautiful home in Hartford. And if you just transplanted that home into, like, East Rock, it would have been three times what it sold for. It's such a shame. Yeah. You know, it really is. Especially when, when you're talking about, you know, older or, or historic homes that are now in exactly economically depressed areas and have lost substantial amounts of value. So, uh, boy, the Democratic debate this week. Yeah. Did you watch it? I did. Both of them? I did. Um, round one, round two? I'm, I'm always curious to see what people have to say. Of course. Uh, Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, is a long shot in this thing. Mm -hmm. He came out and really took the gloves off. He said, when a president, we will even up the score. We will tax the hell out of the wealthy to make this a fairer country and to make sure it's a country that puts working people first. Now, he's a he's a wealthy man himself. Yes. <laughs> uh, so. So I, I, I so don't that know. That says a lot. <laughs> uh, he's also got a great fundraising website. It's called taxthehell.com. But of course, that has, it's got a bit of a, a, a Trumpian ring to it, if you will. Tax the hell. Can oh, you see gosh. that happening already? A bit of a chant. Yeah, yeah. It, it can catch on. De Blasio's proposal could negatively impact people who have their wealth locked up in property, which is a valuable but not very liquid uh, he wants to repeal the estate tax and replace it with a more aggressive inheritance tax. But as I mentioned, he is a long shot. He's literally, according to 538.com, in a multi-way tie for last place among the nearly two dozen candidates. Oh, God, that's crazy. It, it's interesting to see somebody running like anti-real estate, anti-wealth. Right. Being that Donald Trump is a wealthy real estate guy. It's the complete opposite. Yeah. Uh, tax the hell out of the rich doesn't necessarily do it when it comes out of the mouth of a millionaire, too. That just rings a little hollow. So you don't think that he actually means it? Well, here we are in Connecticut. Right. And, and I know we've talked about this before. Ned Lamont is, is a wealthy man. Right. And, and he's, he's been a solid governor so far. And again, my understanding from, from both sides of the aisle is 
he likes to talk and he wants to hear what everybody has to say. Mm-hmm. However, he's refused to consider raising the rate on the wealthy of Connecticut, mm-hmm. which would bridge the gap and, and solve all of our problems. Right. So so you think that it might be like a little bait and switch? For yeah. The blo- yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a, here's a great story. Uh, a, a former Miss Sweden is in trouble. When you think of the Swedes, you just think of nice and attractive people. Like chocolate like. and yeah. cozy. Great like, chocolate. Yeah. So yeah. a couple hired a former Miss Sweden to decorate uh, their property in the Bahamas and are now accusing her of interior design fraud. The client in question is hotel magnet Henry Silverman and his wife Karen, who have filed suit against Sophia Jolson in Florida federal court. With a registered net worth of $300 million, you may know Silverman. Wow. Uh, he used to control Howard Johnson's yep. Ramada Inn, Super 8, and Travel Lodge. Now, according to the complaint, Jolson defrauded them out of millions of dollars by overcharging clients through a network of shell companies and inside vendors. The lawsuit calls Jolson a penthouse queen of South Beach and claims <laughs> she misled them to believe her company was a licensed interior design firm. How did she do it this? Isn't. Um, you know, here's, here's she must have a website. Can I give you my philosophy? It's so hard when you meet attractive people. And I have to imagine Miss Sweden must be gorgeous. Yeah. Well, no, she's only a one time, (laughs) one one time time. beauty queen. So who knows? But yeah, it's generally hard to tell when attractive people are lying to you. I think we've all been there relationship wise, Mm -hmm. business wise. Uh, those are those are tough people to deal with. Okay, this, I can see that. And the Silvermans just want seven million in damages <laughs> based on the RICO Act. That, yeah. That's serious. Wow. And the Florida Deceptive and Unfair Practices Act. They claim Jolson would arrange for contractors to give overinflated invoices, then launder the funds through various real estate purchases while keeping several records, uh, sets of records for each transaction to defraud tax authorities. She was thorough. I want to see some of her stuff or what she claimed she did. Yeah, um, we should get some pictures of it. Yeah, I think that would be I'm fun to, up right to, now. to look at. Um, again, it, you know, it's easy to defraud people when they think that you're on their level. Right. And again, I think a former Miss Sweden has the look, has the pedigree, has the the resume to convince you this is the right person. Hmm. And right. how often if do you it's that really, simple. How yeah. often do you really research a business what? that you're doing business with. I would hope 100% of the time. You'll research the person, not necessarily. You just assume oh, a business okay. is legit. Well, if this person is her, she is the business. Right. You'd be again, researching her and the business. On paper. Yeah. Your business looks legit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what she sold this on in the first place. Right, right. You know, you mentioned, I bet she has a website. I'm sure she does. And I'll bet (laughs) you it's gorgeous. Right. You know, that's all part of the fraud. That's where they suck her in. Uh, Another look here at the news. It it wouldn't be a news update here on closing time if I didn't mention Compass in some way, shape, or form. Uh, The well-funded New York City-based brokerage firm has been hit with yet another lawsuit. Wow. This time, Elegron, which is a New York City-based competitor, they're suing Compass and one of its managers for what it calls a brazen scheme to unfairly compete by stealing confidential information and trade secrets and using them to target Elegron's other real estate brokers, clients, and other potential clients. At the center of the complaint is Zeno Andalitas. He's a former manager who left Elgron to go to Compass. 
This guy took with him what could be $10 million worth of leads, assuming they all close. Wow. A Compass spokesman in a statement said, it's focused on providing the best experience for its employees, agents, and their clients. Compass, of course, has been the target of a number of lawsuits from competitors, including most recently the lawsuit by Rheology, which we've talked about repeatedly here. Yes. Uh, Rheology is suing Compass over unfair business practices and illegal schemes to gain market share at all costs. A Compass source said all new agents are asked to sign a document stating they're not allowed to bring any information uh, or uh, confidential proprietary information with them from their old firm. Now, I mean, let's be honest here. It's hard to to not utilize things you've learned in a, in a in a previous place. Right. And you know, there's a really sticky or slippery slope I should say when it comes to leaving a firm and having clients. I would assume that you would not be able to take those clients with you. Correct. Yes. And this guy was the manager of that firm. And so he felt like he could. Yes. Or maybe um, not. He just did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever the case, they're now being sued for it. So. And that's the deal. Probably oh. not the best idea. All the drama, the house drama in the house over here. I wonder if all of this negative press that they've been getting has hurt Compass. I don't know. I think they're doing pretty well. I mean, I they were all over Inman last week. And um. Do you think like the average buyer or seller would know this sort of drama and, and deceit? Um, you know, as a guy who worked for iHeartMedia for yeah. a very long time, it seemed to me the average person was very aware that that company was $20 billion in debt and mm -hmm. at the point of bankruptcy at any given moment. So, yeah, I mean, I, I again, I think when you're talking about the big companies of an industry. Yeah. I think you, there's you're more likely to know about that right. than you would but maybe, smaller companies. But no, maybe not enough that it that it would be that it would hurt business at this point. But I can't imagine any more lawsuits will help. Right. Yeah. So let's see if it actually um, hurts any local brokerages. Software company WNR Studios announced in a press release the launch of a new tool that might help alleviate the challenge of staying in touch with clients to earn future business called Homebeat. Uh, our office recently got something similar to this, um, which I love. Yeah. Because this this is important. Uh, subscribers to this this uh, particular brand will be eligible to use the feature, which sends recurring comparative market analysis to members of an agent's database. You need it. Just here's a constant stream of CMAs on your house. Right. And when when we hit the magic number, let's list it. That's brilliant. That sounds amazing. Uh, each recipient has a branded Homebeat landing page that updates their home's financial status each month, quarter, or year. Wow. And while drip campaigns are a very common tactic for staying in touch post-close, they do remain difficult for agents to consistently maintain, especially when you're self-publishing. Right. Yeah, you got to come up with the content. It's got to be interesting. and Because if it gets stale, then they just delete it or they don't even look at it. So like this program we just got in our office, Homebeat here basically automates all that mm -hmm. and constantly keeps your clients in the loop. Uh, you can you can get involved or you can just do it without any intervention from yourself. Uh, Zillow allows consumers to sign up for regular home value updates as well. Uh, encouraging clients to check home beat instead of their Zestimate could help uh, mitigate the influence of premier agents when the time comes for a new home. Yeah. I think if you want to compete with Zillow, you got to do what they're doing and then do everything else that you do. <laughs> On top you know of everything I mean? else. That's and the, then a little bit more. 
you know, again, we talked a few weeks ago about Zillow finally using pictures and helping to, to determine what the Zestimate is. Yeah. And, you know, again, I, I think if you're able to, it, it seems like more of a hassle, but automated CMAs are so much easier. And again, I mean, they're they're probably not perfect, which is why when your client would get in touch with you and be like, hey, this one looks pretty good, you'll have to actually run actual numbers yeah to see if, if that wasn't slightly inflated but again i like these things Th- these are fabulous tools because and again we saw with our client appreciation party how important it is to stay in touch with clients post close yes that's really what the game is all that's about. what feeds your business now uh you and i are both big fans of trader joe's i love it a new study came out by adam data solutions confirmed what i think we've all felt intuitively Homes within a close range of stores like Trader Joe's and even Whole Foods have a high home value rate and return on investment. On average, a home within close range of a Trader Joe's is worth six hundred and eight, three hundred and five thousand. Wow. <laughs> Homes near a Whole Foods worth five hundred twenty-one thousand one hundred forty-two dollars. Hmm. Now Aldi, which is a discount supermarket chain, the average price is. $222,809, but the presence of an Aldi's can indicate potential for major neighborhood growth. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? No, that makes total sense. I mean, I live in like the Hamden, New Haven area, and I often hear people debate which Trader Joe's is closer, the one in like the West Hartford area or like New Britain kind of area or um, down in Milford. And it seems like that's just like a, a constant conversation. People always want to go to Trader Joe's, yeah. you know, um, it's a big draw. Uh, but the only thing I'd be worried about is um, the the prices of your car staying where they are <laughs> just because those parking lots are absolutely terrible. So you're going to get a, a few dings at least. If you frequent Trader Joe's too much. According to the study, homes near Aldi's have an average gross flipping return on investment of 62%. Get out of here. Which means properties in the neighborhood are likely to grow in value. By contrast, homes near Whole Foods have an ROI of 35%. uh, Trader Joe's around 31%. I mean, just like a commute, being close to, to one of these places really does have some value and can make a neighborhood a more desirable place to live. That's awesome. That's good to know. It, it, it you know, it's almost surprising, but not. Yeah, no. I mean, you it makes I yeah. And you're like, oh, I could see that, but wow. I mean, that, that that's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when it comes to obviously real estate listings, it's super important to catch people's eye. That's why pictures are really important. There's a hot real estate market, and then there's literally up in flames. (laughs) Florida realtor Dylan Jack published photos from a disaster on Zillow. A 1,280-foot square foot property in St. Petersburg was badly damaged in a fire nine months ago. The existing lot is for sale for $99,900. Bring your s'mores to the campfire and build your dream home, reads the listing. Genius. Yes. Dylan. Some people called it unprofessional. Others said due to its realism, it could confuse buyers, which I don't think anyone's looking at that picture and thinking, I want this house. Let's go look at it right now. Uh, According to the agent, 
there's no such thing as bad publicity. So. No, I have seen this picture all over my Facebook, all over Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. This blew up. This is great, literally. <laughs> but yeah. um, <laughs> here's the thing. <laughs> like buyers, if they're if, if it's confusing them, then why are they have their search set for land? You know what I mean? Like, right. If they really think they're they want to buy a house, but they see this picture and they're like, oh, it's actually land. I don't know. Like, um, no. I don't buy that. I think this is genius. Great job, Dylan. Keep it up. It's all about marketing. Did it sell? Uh, uh, it did. It did. Oh, it okay. It did sell, yep. Good for him. Of course. Uh, you've worked with out-of-town buyers on a few occasions, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. I have had one such experience, and it was one of the toughest things I've ever done. Here are seven tips for making working with out-of-town buyers a little less stressful. Mm-hmm. Number one, you should focus on the photos, the videos, and virtual tours where applicable. Um, it 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 you want to give them the typical home look. You want them to really kind of get a sense of of what they're looking at, uh, and and it helps your client to feel more involved in the process because generally you're at the home by yourself. Obviously, with video now, it, it's become a lot easier. Uh, I had my experience in 2007. So things were a little different back then. My buyer was in Virginia. You haven't done one since then? No. Wow. Not with somebody from out of town. Interesting. It went that poorly that no. uh, I haven't necessarily been like, you haven't sought it out. out of town business. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, thank you. Yeah. It, the next one we get, I'm just going to send them right to you. Okay. Uh, number two, recommend moving services. Obviously, you know, they're moving across the country. Anything yeah. you could do to help on a, on a local end would be great. Number three, you want to set a timeline in advance. You got to be as proactive as possible. Setting the timeline for the move really is so important. It's going to yeah. be helpful in determining how you're, how to set your client's priorities uh, and also how to approach each stage of the process. You could use the timeline to help your clients prepare for their move and save them the stress that comes with making that sort of decision. Number four, make strong recommendations. I think more often than not, well... You're shaking your head. Yeah, this is kind of, I don't know, sure about this one. Most of the time when someone moves long distances, they don't know anything mm-hmm. about where they're going to. They're going to learn, they really lean on you and your expertise to, to help them know more about the surroundings. And they're going to ask for your recommendations. I think when you make them, I think what we're saying here is don't be like, ah, that company's all right. You'll, you'll be fine. I, I think you got to bring your A game. Is, is pretty much what they're talking about as far as recommendations. Well, what I usually, this is recommendations of like neighborhoods or like, yeah, like, oh, you're an active couple with children. You need to be in this neighborhood. I mean, that's definitely not something well, we should be doing. Law, yeah. So, so if that. that's what they're saying. I think they just mean as far as mortgage company stuff oh, like that. Like vendors. Vendors. Oh, I think okay. it's more that. All right. I hope it's more that. If it's not, I'll cross it off the list. Yeah. Uh number five, take advantage of multiple forms of communications. There's no reason that you can't be in constant communication with a client, whether they're in state or out of state at this point. There's really no excuse. Right. Number six, time an in person visit appropriately. Most buyers will want to visit the area in person at least once before they commit to their move. It's partially on you to determine when an in-person visit would be the most appropriate. You might want to wait until you have a handful of properties uh, that are viable. Uh, You might think it's more appropriate to wait until there's a clear winner and then plan a visit to finalize the details. Mm -hmm. How how have you... So how I've done this is uh, we have our consultation. They tell me... um, 
about their family, what they're looking for, you know, their job, their lifestyle. Um, and then obviously we, we narrow it down as, as best we can. So we say, you know, what county, what towns, what neighborhoods um, they would like to look in. Um, I would give them maps. I give them a lot of information where they can get uh, the answers that they're looking for, because I'm not going to give it to them because I obviously don't want to steer them in the wrong direction or, you know, obviously it's illegal. Yeah. Um, but then when we actually come and meet in person, uh, yeah, we'll spend the entire day. We'll take a look at some homes. Uh, we'll, t- we'll go out to lunch. Um, we'll, we'll take a look at neighborhoods. We'll take a look at schools. I definitely give them a lot of time of my time because they're here um, for, you know, a few days usually. Um, and then I have them do some homework as well. So I have them drive by some areas on their own and, and kind of get a better feel on their own. Um, so they do have to have some skin in the game, some onus on the the process, but I am there to facilitate as much as I can. As I recall, I spent most of the time with his sister and niece mm-hmm. and he came up for the home inspection. Oh, right. Okay. So, that worked out really well. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's the right time. Yeah. And I've been I've actually had a, quite a few home inspections where it was just me. So I, I would do um, video of it and kind of, you know, FaceTime it. FaceTime helps a lot. Um, and, you know, hopefully it, it was able to work. I think it was worked out fine. You know, I mean, yeah. they get the full report. And the seventh tip for making working with out of town buyers a little less stressful empathize yeah one of the best things you could do for someone attempting to move long distance is just empathize it's stressful it's a high stakes decision it's not easy to move across the country no see this challenge through their eyes listen to them talk about their challenges and needs if you could provide them with a comfortable and accepting atmosphere they're going to be more decisive and and more confident in their final decisions and things just happen like there was one i had i had family moving from the chicago area and they were literally on the truck and the sellers of their house that they were about to close on in a couple days drove right through the detached garage We were not closing in 30 days at that point. So I had to scramble. I had to connect with um, the insurance agent and uh, contractors to get quotes. And um, there was a there was some delay, but we were able to get through it as quickly as possible. So, yeah, you have to empathize. You have to be on your A game, especially when they are on a truck driving cross country. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I, 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 uh, I don't know if I want to work with any more out of town buyers. All right, send no, them, send kidding. them to me. Send I them to me. I will send them to no you. No problem. I'll definitely join you guys for lunch, though. Okay, that sounds great. <laughs> Perfect. So now, when it comes to doing renovations to your home, there's there's things you can do to increase value. There's things that you do that'll just make the house more aesthetically pleasing and and help you get what you're looking for. Here are five things not to do when you're deciding on renovations. Don't remove your only bathtub. Oh, my gosh. Okay. The reason many home buyers need no. a tub for little kids. Yeah. Trying to sell a house with no bathtub can be very challenging. You may be an adult and you're thinking, I don't take baths. I don't need a bathtub. Think think bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Don't leave the kitchen cabinets on when you paint them. This might be my biggest pet peeve. Yeah, I've seen that a lot. It's so terrible. Painting your cabinets white can be a great wow and it can really pay off on the resale. 
It's a time-consuming and labor-intensive job. Sometimes homeowners, though, make the mistake of leaving the doors on while repainting. Also, just don't do it yourself. Have Pay to have someone do that. That, in my opinion. Yes. Unless you're good at it, don't. Because that's we'll notice it immediately. Right. Uh, don't plant a tree too close to your house. No. That small sapling you planted to mark your move-in day, it's not going to stay that size forever. Planting trees too close to the house puts your house at risk for falling limbs, leaves in the gutter, and mature roots, weakening your home's foundation, or worse, putting your sewer or septic and plumbing pipes at risk. Terrible. You probably don't even know where your plumbing pipes necessarily are mm-hmm. or how they run from your home. To just stick a tree in the ground with no regard could you could certainly cause your problems. Yeah, that's a good tip. Uh, don't try to cover wallpaper with water-based paint. I've seen this a few times I don't, quite recently. What, what does it look like? It looks stupid. <laughs> it looks like you painted over wallpaper. You're not tricking oh, anybody. Okay. You can see it. You can see Especially it. Especially if there was a pattern on the wallpaper. Yeah. Yeah. Removing old wallpaper is a chore. I bought a machine that I lend to clients when they close on houses with wallpaper. That is genius. You could take it for as long as you need it. Yeah. Just bring it back when you're done. Love but that. But don't do that. It, it's, it's not a good look, and it's only going to cause more problems. And then don't tear out original architectural features no and stunningly people do this quite often custom woodwork tin ceiling tiles Mm -hmm. stained glass windows or mid-century modern brick well those those things all give your home character and it sets it apart from all the other houses so keep them when you're remodeling assuming they're in good condition of course right that's tough i mean especially with like large windows and things like that if um, they're damaged. You have to replace them. Use similar windows. Don't, you know, skimp on that because that's adds light. It adds character. Um, it keeps the, the value in your home. So we were actually dealing with a client who saw the old listing on his house yesterday and asked if there was any way he could get the oh, original right. doors back. Yeah. And it was it's, it's a bank owned property. Yes. <laughs> I don't think the bank has them in the I, vault anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. look. Um, yeah, no, I actually I had a, a client once who it was a beautiful home um, from the 1900s and the the um, woodwork was just gorgeous. And they had put the the kids heights on um, what on some of the woodwork. And she had asked me, she's like, can I just rip out this, you know, panel right here and take it with me? And I'm like, you can't. You really can't. I mean, unless you actually get a carpenter to do it and then have them remake a a similar piece or the exact same piece. Um, She ended up just taking a picture. Um, I was just going to say, you could take a picture, blow it up, get it matted and make it like a thing. Yeah, it actually ended up looking really nice. I'm sure it did. It would have been a lot. I'm sure it was a lot better looking and cheaper than ripping the wall off and having it replaced. Do you have an area in your house where you keep everyone's heights? No. No. You would need a lot of room. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Way too much room. I don't have that many doorways in my house to keep up with all those kids. Yeah, we keep ours in the kitchen. Although the other cool part is they're all under five feet tall. So oh, that's hilarious. It wouldn't that's go right. that high. And my <laughs> oldest is 18. So, that's so funny. we're a shorter kind of family. Yeah. So sort of in this vein, one man's trash is another man's treasure. We've all heard that expression. Here are five types of treasures that you might have in your house. And 
you know, instead of hosting a garage sale and selling them off for a quarter or a dollar a pop, here, here's some things that you, you might find have some resale value. Books is a big one. That's if so you interesting. Have, if you have yeah. books, maybe you've already read them, you don't want to read them again, or you've never read them, period, you just bought it. Selling online is an easy way to turn that into cash. First, you got to look and see if you have any first editions or books with author signatures in them. I've seen books like that go for thousands of dollars. My wife loves going to estate sales mm -hmm. and oftentimes find first edition books. Wow. Yeah, I have none of those. So <laughs> my wife doesn't like to sell those books. She likes to keep them. Mm, you guys are readers. Yes. Yeah. Uh, clothes, believe it or not. Uh, sometimes it's easier to just throw all your clothes in a bag and go dump them at one of those uh, donation sites. But selling gently used in-style clothing on consignment, both for kids and adults, is another good way to earn some cash for you, from your closet. To earn top dollar, you got to look for upsell consignment shops. There's a lot of those here in Connecticut. Yeah, I feel like we've talked about that in the past. Um, but this is so true. I actually have about $25 um, that I have to pick up at the consignment shop that I sold a whole bunch of summer stuff. You know? Oh, that's yeah, great. It's 25 bucks. You know, you can find out what brands, items, and, and condition that the store wants. That way, when you go in there, you know you're meeting their standards. And you go in and you walk out yeah. with uh, quick cash. And a lot of these places are actually offering like over 50% on, you know, the designer brands too. So that's Let totally worth it. Let me ask you this. Since you do it, yeah. um, do you then take the money you make and buy more clothes? No. I usually buy Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> usually where it goes. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah. I'm like, oh, I got some cash burning a hole in my pocket. I'll yeah. go to Starbucks. I appreciate your honesty yeah. there. I really yeah. do. I think I might have lied on that one <laughs> if I was you. Sorry. Uh, here's another great item. If you've got jewelry, all right, a jewelry box of mismatched odd pieces, the mm. piece you inherited that isn't your style and maybe you have no one to pass it on to or that engagement ring you don't wear anymore because you're divorced and you hate them. Yikes. Well, that could be another source of income. Fine jewelry can be worth a lot. You're going to want to get it appraised before you sell it. You, there's an appraiser online site like appraisers.org. Mm -hmm. uh, check that out. See if uh, what you have is worth money. You could also take it to good old Tom or one of those pawn shops and, <laughs> and get pennies on the dollar. You know, your yeah. call. <laughs> Here's another good one, and I tell you, I've been taken on a lot of these. Unused gift cards. I have a few. Yeah, I feel like I'm always waiting to use them. Yeah. And then sometimes I end up at those places, and I'm like, ah, oh, I should have brought those gift cards. Mm -hmm. According to the professional service firm CEB Tower Group, each year roughly $1 billion in gift cards go unused. That's insane. Yes. If you're not planning to use them, you can resell them for cash yeah. or even at a discount online uh, site like uh, Card Cash. Uh, some Coinstar kiosks and grocery stores Get will here. also allow a gift card exchange. That's good to know. You know, I, I mean, again, I've got right now four gift cards I'm sitting on. Yeah. And uh, I, I may have to look into Card Cash because I'm not. Where am I going? I'm not going out. No. <laughs> I don't go out. Who's got time for that? I'll tell you, here's another great one is sporting goods. And I'll t I, I, I've always done well 
at those estate sales that my wife hits. Because mm-hmm. she'll hit me up sometimes and be like, oh, my gosh, they have golf equipment here. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, what's the address? I'm on my way. Mm-hmm. Craigslist is a great resource to sell un- unwanted items like outdoor sporting gear, uh, sporting goods, bicycles, fishing gear, canoes. Uh, any kind of equipment, cleats, helmets, gloves, golf clubs, as I mentioned, skis. You could take them to stores like Play It Again Sports, where you can get 30 to 50% off. Uh, there's some good money to be made. That's genius. Uh, if you take care of your stuff, yeah, you can resell it. I mean, growing up, my brother and I both played a lot of different sports, and all of our equipment came from Play It Again Sports. You know, uh, field hockey, lacrosse. Lacrosse sticks are like $1,000. Yes. It, it can be very expensive. So about five years ago, my 16-year-old daughter decided she wanted to play softball because she knows how much I love baseball. Mm-hmm. And she joined a softball team, and I spent so much time there at practice just watching that they invited me in to help coach a little bit. And my daughter was so excited, and she was like, I love this. And I took her to the store, Abby, and we we I bought her everything. I got her a helmet, gloves, sliding pad, batting glove. Whatever she wanted, she got. I was so excited for that. The season came to an end. She did great. Yeah. Season ends. They asked about playing fall ball. Yeah. And uh, I asked her if she wanted in. I had a chance to maybe become a head coach of a team. And she told me she did not want to do it. Oh, get out of here. As a matter of fact, Abby. That's a bummer. What my sweet daughter told me was, I'll be honest, I only did this because I know how much you love baseball. That's sweet. But. Yeah. I was like, well, you owe me $375. Yeah. (laughs) Glad that worked out. And you're mowing the lawn when we get home. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So play it against boards. That's where it's at. But here's a, here's a tip though. If you want to, because a lot of my sellers actually do this, but they have uh, utilized Facebook marketplace. Um, I've heard some crazy stories from them. So just make sure that instead of giving them your home address, when you do sell things, you meet at the fire department or the police department or something like that. Um, And if they are not willing to meet you there, then block them. You know, it's not worth it. Yes, It's not worth it. Yeah. Let's meet at the police department parking lot. We'll make this quick exchange and be on our way. If they're insistent. Because that's normal. Right. That is not an abnormal request. Yeah. I don't think so at all. No. Again, I mean, most of the time, if you pull into a police station parking lot, it's not like the cops aren't going to come out and see what's going on. Right. But of course, it's a, it feels like a much safer environment. Yeah. So uh, just something to think about. Uh, you can get all of these tips. You can get all the great news stories and everything else that we've shared by visiting ClosingTimePodcast.com. You can also find all of our other previous episodes. Make sure you keep, with up, keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram. You can get uh, that and so much more just by visiting our website, ClosingTimePodcast.com. For Abby Bro, I'm Joe McGuire. Thanks for listening to this week's Closing Time Podcast.